Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Law Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international law firms for international legal issues. At ALRPRA, we help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Cheryl Rich Heisler, who is president of Law Alternatives. After graduating from the University of Illinois from communications degree in 1980 with highest honors, and after receiving her J.D. from Northwestern University Law School in 1983, uh, Cheryl formed Law Alternatives in 1988. Ms. Heisler has consulted with individual clients at all stages in their careers and has been published in numerous business, legal, and popular publications. Ms. Heisler professionally speaks on exploring career alternatives. A website where you can find more information is www.lawternatives.com. Now, we do welcome your caller questions this afternoon and counterpoint either by email directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line, or please call in by dialing 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732, option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Now, when calling in, please be kind and mute your telephone while making, waiting to make a comment so that we can avoid any unnecessary background noise. And by way of disclaimer before we begin, we want to let you know that this is a general information program and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Our programming is politically neutral and objective, and counterpoints to views expressed on our shows are always welcome. ALRPRA does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. And finally, callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, our subject matter today is as follows. If you are sick and tired of law firm careerists, climbers, and feel like you're running in circles, chasing your tail? Do you fear that you'll be spending a lifetime regretting a career decision you made at age 21? Is the student loan debt a pair of uncomfortable handcuffs? If you're considering taking legal skill sets and hitting the road, then you should open your eyes to law alternatives. After graduating from Northwestern University Law School and working for several years in big law, Cheryl voted with her feet, and Cheryl developed law alternatives to counsel bright legal talent on the career alternatives when traditional law doesn't suit the lawyer. So, without further ado, we're going to turn things over to Cheryl, and uh, in segment one, she's going to talk a little bit about the path leading to developing law alternatives. Uh, she'll talk a little bit about her education and career background leading to law school, and then uh, your path to an alternative and alternative to a traditional legal career. Um, thirdly, how she became to develop law alternatives, and then gr- the growth and future of the company. So, without further ado, we'll turn things over to Ms. Heisler. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for bringing me on. It's it's great to be able to know that there are people out there listening at their desks right now. They should be doing their due diligence or they should be uh, 
working away, slaving away, writing a contract or a brief, and now they're listening to us. So, so that makes me feel good. Uh, the truth is, and you probably don't need me to tell you this, the education and the background that you got in law school and everything that you learn as a practicing attorney means something to your future career path. If you want to stay in a legal-related or a traditional legal role, terrific. If you want to go into something that I would call a quasi-legal role, there are options there where your JD is really a huge plus. And you know what? If you decide after all is said and done you want to do something that's non-legal, that works as well. So I guess the first rule of today, if there are any rules, is that there are no limits. These are uh, the people who are listening, Nick, and these are the people who you and I went to law school with, are smart, capable, can-do people, and sometimes all all you guys out there might need is a little bit of direction uh, and a little bit of reassurance that, in fact, if there's something different you want to try, you can do it. Uh, my own background, and I guess I'll start there because I've taken a couple of non-traditional turns along the way. Um, as Nick said, I was an undergraduate at the University of Illinois in advertising. Always enjoyed that. Thought I might even go into PR. I could have ended up in direct competition with uh, with some of my friends, but decided and was actually convinced by uh, some well-meaning relatives, primarily my dad, that I ought to go to law school. I'm sure that is a familiar story for a lot of you listening. You maybe didn't know what you wanted or maybe didn't even think you wanted law, but somebody said, hey, you're smart. You don't like the sight of blood. You're terrible with numbers. Why don't you go to law school? And um, for me, and I think for a lot of our listeners, the problem starts right there. Law as a profession or law as a choice of education is very open. You can come to it from any background. And so whether you were a ballerina as an undergrad or you were a history major or a psychology major and you didn't know what to do next, there was always that fallback position. You did well, got some decent scores on your, L on your LCS, and you could then go on into, into the legal profession. Uh, so the same was true for me. I went on to law school. Did not love law school. I guess I'm not telling any secrets out of school. My professors probably would say the same thing. Uh, but I did enjoy my time at Northwestern, and I enjoyed the idea, at least, of going to work for a big firm. Um, I had a summer associate position with my firm. They hired me. I knew, actually, after my first summer of law that I had a position. So I really enjoyed the rest of law school. I got married in the middle of second year. I worked at another firm. There really wasn't any danger. But what happened once I got into the law practice is I was like uh, somebody hit me over the head saying, what are you doing here? The nature of the work, the detail orientation, the hours, the constant uh, pleasing lots of different bosses. Again, anybody who's in a firm practice now is probably sitting at their desk nodding. Uh, it was very difficult. And the biggest aha for me was I've never been tongue-tied. But I would read a case and go talk to a senior partner about it, and suddenly I couldn't come up with the answers. It was if I had never, as if I had never read the case to begin with. So it made me aware that perhaps this wasn't the best and highest use of my skills. Um, through a strange quirk of fate, I actually had the opportunity while I was vacationing to talk to and ultimately meet with Ben and Jerry, as in Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And the idea of doing something other than law, which in this case was bringing this fabulous ice cream to the Chicago market, became an obsession. I couldn't think about law. I couldn't concentrate on the contracts I was working on. I would hang up on senior partners whenever Ben Cohn would call. And through 
I guess you have to call it a trial and error. I was able to put a document together which really resembled a marketing plan. And we presented it. We, My dad and I, we met with Ben and Jerry. They actually flew to Chicago and met with us, which is a whole other funny story. Uh, and what happened ultimately is they said, you guys are great people, but you don't know squat about the ice cream business. Thank you. And you know, here are a couple of free coupons. That was the downside. The upside was I had fallen into something that I really enjoyed and, in fact, played off of my undergraduate degrees in advertising and communication, made me feel very much more alive than the practice of law had, and I was now hooked or had gotten a hook to do a turnaround into a new direction. So I didn't know at the time what I was doing. It's since become part and parcel of what I counsel my clients on, but I talked with people who were doing marketing, who were working in the consumer packaged goods and foods industries, and I showed them this little marketing plan I had done, and they said, well, yeah, that's kind of sort of what we do, but you, do you have an MBA? I said, well, no, I have a JD. That must be evidence of something. And while initially everybody said you cannot move from law into consumer packaged goods marketing without the MBA, uh, I found out that wasn't true. And once you understand what a company or an organization is looking for, and if you see you have the right skills to match, you do have a chance. Long story short, I went to work in Kraft Foods, but not as a lawyer. I didn't go in-house. I went into the marketing department, spent three years there working with Parquet Margarine and Kraft Real Mayonnaise, and just had a ball seeing what other people did besides lawyers. Um, that turned into alternatives because unhappy lawyers found out that I had gone to work at Kraft, and they started calling me there. So suddenly, in between working on new marketing ideas for Parquet Margarine, I was counseling lawyers on alternatives. And where the big corporate culture stuff didn't stick with me, the idea of working one-on-one -on -one with attorneys who wanted out did. And uh, long story short, I started alternatives. It's now going on 23 years, and I think it's probably the best job I've ever had. One of the pieces to career success, and, and I think, Nick, you can attest to this too because of how you've put your career together, is to take all the different pieces of your background, all the things that you like, and weave them together. And in fact, Lawternatives lets me work with smart people who have a legal background so I can relate to them, but it's a creative component. I can help them see what else they might want to do. I can help them find the their version of Ben and Jerry's. And when I have those pieces to work with and a willing client, we can take it anywhere. And in fact, what I've seen is my clients have gone off in so many different directions. Clients have gone into business. Clients have gone into academia. Clients have gone into marketing. They've gone into entertainment. They've gone into the arts. I've got people in nonprofit. Lawyers turned restaurateurs. There's really nothing that you can't do with a law degree. So, if uh, if all these ramblings don't produce anything else in your mindset, if you're out there listening, remember that there's nothing you cannot do from where you sit right now. Where I'm going to go in the future? Wow, that's a great question. I found that over the last 23 years, my business has really morphed into covering anything and everything that involves lawyers and professionals in career transition. So right, while my bread and butter of my business is still clients coming in to talk about what they want to do, I also work on the outplacement side of things. If a lawyer's been laid off, I can help with that. If there's a recruitment need where somebody's looking for a lawyer who also has another skill set, maybe a lawyer plus sales or a lawyer plus communications, that's something that I can help with. Um, the, the latest kind of 
quirky piece to my background is that I'm being invited by the law schools to come out and lecture to current law students on what else they can do with their law degree. Because in a market like this, and again, not telling any secrets, we're turning out more lawyers than we can absorb in the marketplace. And so we have to be able to come up with uh, ideas for what else we're going to do to take these bright, talented people and create a spot for them so they can add some value. Um, my own path, as I said, is, is uh, to a non-traditional alternative, was fraught with a few hard spots along the way. I think one of the things that a lot of people find difficult is telling the people in your life that you don't want to practice law anymore, uh, particularly if you've had somebody who's been invested in in your law school background. They've paid a lot of money to do it. If you paid for your own law school background, Lord knows you have a lot of debt, and it's difficult to say, well, maybe I won't be able to make that big salary and uh, pay off that debt as quickly as I'd wanted. But I don't think you can throw the rest of your life behind three years of law school if, in fact, law school and the opportunities it provides aren't making you happy. So one of the very first things, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next segment, is what do you do when you want to start thinking about an alternative career? How do you begin? Where are the, What are the keys to unlock some of those mysteries in your mind? Um, I'm trying to think what else we can – I want to give everybody an overview here for what we're going to talk about. Uh, so we will definitely talk about the path that you take as you explore alternative careers. What are the steps you go through? Um, at some point later in the show, I'd like very much for us to talk about the different things that lawyers can do, or at least throw out some common uh, examples. And then also why a traditional law school background is valuable to you, whether you practice in a traditional law or not. But what you've learned and what you've paid good money for can definitely be useful to you going forward. All right. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for the beginning introductory uh, explanation there. Of course, there are so many things that drive someone to decide to go to law school, and I've heard uh, many people make comments that it seems unfair to be held to a life of law practice for a decision that you made when you're 21 years old. So um, thank you, Cheryl, for the, the wonderful uh, background and lead-in to how you came to develop law alternatives and uh, had really the, the guts to spot that you didn't like what you were doing. Um, you know, my own situation was uh, rather similar where um, I, I was in family law in the suburbs and things were good. I had lots of experience, enjoyed it, was good at what I did, but just not, not what I wanted to do professionally. And when jumping into the world of business, found out that uh, many people said, well, I'm not going to hire you because you have a law degree. You're just going to go practice law and you're not going to be a good match. So uh, I ended up starting my own company. So there you go. So there are there are all sorts of options out there. Um, and from from attorney to, to solopreneur, it takes uh, some it's kind of a bumpy road sometimes, but definitely one worth taking. So we're going to pause shortly for our first commercial break and then be back with Cheryl Heisler as we talk a little bit about uh, her advice and some of the skills that you acquire in a traditional legal education and uh, talk about identifying what those skills are, some of the not-so-obvious skill sets, uh, also the application of those skill sets in other uh, backgrounds, also looking at things you did before school, and uh, the similarities between, again, a JD as compared to an MBA. I know there's a lot of uh, word on the street that, you know, 
Some say that a master's degree, an advanced degree, is an advanced degree. Others say, no, that's not the case. So, again, I think that it, what matters is what's comfortable with you and what you are prepared to, to work with. So we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with more. Our first commercial sponsor break comes from the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help with your advertising copy review. You can get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com. And our, sec our third uh, commercial sponsor is Steve Fretzen and the Sales Results Incorporated Group. And if you're an attorney who is struggling with developing your book of business, try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys to double or even triple their books of business through business development and coaching programs. The telephone number to reach Steve Fretzen and the Sales Results team is area code 847-317-1575. The telephone number again is area code 847 317-1575. You may also find Sales Results, Inc. online at www.salesresultsinc.com. Now back to our Law Talk radio program. We do encourage any of our listeners to call in with any questions. Please dial area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Questions or comments are also uh, accepted by email directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com and also through our contact page at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. So now we are going to go back to Cheryl Heisler, and she is going to share uh, more with us about some of the skills that are acquired in a traditional, traditional legal education, um, what those skills are, how to identify them. It's really an analysis discussion we're going to have. So, Cheryl, let's get back to our programming. Thanks, Nick. The question about law school that everybody wonders is, well, what do I learn that I can apply someplace else? So let's take a step back. Uh, in career counseling parlance, you talk about skills in two sets, right? There's the technical skills, what you learn that's unique to your industry. In the case of a lawyer, if you know how to write a brief, if you know how to negotiate a deal, if you know how to uh, put together a document or argue in front of an arbitration board, those kinds of things are what I'd call technical skills. Um, that's very different from the transferable skill set, which is who you are and what you bring to the table. So, for instance, if you're just a chatty Kathy and you love people and you're easy to talk with, that's transferable. That's going to be part of you whether you're in a legal vein, whether you're in a marketing vein, whether you go into legal affairs or lobbying. That's part of who you are. So when I talk about the kinds of tools we learn in law school, I'm going to talk about them first in terms of the technical skill sets, and then I'm going to try to help you understand what makes them transferable. So, for instance, one of the things lawyers and law, and law students do a lot of is reading, analyze, and writing 
briefs. You spend a ton of time uh, working on the, the write-up of something, understanding what's behind a situation. The writing briefs part is very much a technical skill. If you go to work in a law firm, they're going to appreciate the fact that you can write a great brief. If you're going to work in anything that's quasi-legal or non-legal, it doesn't really matter. But what does matter are those individual parts. You need to be able to understand long before you go to sell yourself to a non-traditional employer that by being able to write a brief, what that really means is you can read, you can research, you can analyze, you can be selective. Not everything goes in a brief, right? You've got space limitations and you've got uh, time limitations for how long it's going to take you to put this document together. All of those individual pieces are extremely marketable. Would If you were an employer, wouldn't you want to hire somebody who could read and write and communicate and be strategic? I can't think of a, a single occupation that wouldn't want that. And Cheryl, I think that half the key is determining uh, you know, what types of skills those are. And research and analytic skills uh, seem to be things that would certainly help people in, uh, in different uh, practice scenarios and settings. So, so how, can we, how can we make a, a strategic analysis uh, of what those skills are? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Nick, when you said that research and analytical skills are important. They are important, really, to any higher-level management function. You can't just take the information that's plopped on your desk if you're in a business or management position and make a decision without synthesizing that information, without understanding the sources, the reliability of the sources, so that just the process, everything that you learn, what that infamous new way of thinking that you, they're telling you you're learning in law school, that you're paying all that money for, that's going to be useful to you whether you go off into a, a legal or a business or an arts background. Anything that you're going to do with it is, is meaningful. Um, I think you have to also remember that the whole persuasion skill set that you gain as a lawyer, I mean, it's, it's a joke, right? Everybody says you learn how to argue in law school, but most of the people I talked to said they, their family told them to go to law school because they were so sick and tired of arguing with them. But it's a certain kind of argumentative. It's not just arguing for arguing's sake, or hopefully it's not. It's that you have a point of view to get across. Even better, think how many of the, the folks you knew in law school were great at seeing things from both sides of the fence. If you're in any kind of a, a let's, for example, take a management position or an administrative position in a business setting, you want to be able to see Every party's point of view, that will make you a better manager. That will make you somebody that your employees will relate to and will trust. So it's not just useful in being you know, a, a, either a neutral party, as in, for instance, as a judge, or being a good lawyer because you can imagine what the other party is going to say in response to what you say. It will make you better at anything you do. And that's where the value of a law degree really comes in. I think if I had a nickel for every time somebody said, I was told to go to law school because a law degree would be a ticket into anything, um, I would be rich and would retire. If there are any pre-law counselors listening to this, stop saying that. It's not the degree by itself that makes somebody marketable. It's the fact that the person who has the degree was smart enough to get through law school, and if they are savvy enough to understand it, they can break those skills down into very marketable components. Cheryl, one of the things that I noticed um, in myself when I was trying to make a transition uh, away from law and into business is when you're in um, a certain position uh, as a 
in law, you, uh, in a sense, appreciate this ability to become a quick expert at um, at almost any type of thing. I mean, when you read a case, you have to understand um, the background of what's going on in that case and then apply that to a set of facts. So I think it uh, presents a potential for uh, arrogance in, in you know, people in law um, and not knowing when to step back and realize that you may not know everything about a situation. You know, that arrogance is a, a, a tough word because I think a lot of attorneys, law students, feel like, hey, I'm I'm pretty hot stuff. I got here. But that's the kiss of death when it comes to moving into another career. And I have heard of, from, for this both from hiring folks and from attorneys, who went in and said, you know, I can do your job. I'm a lawyer. Uh, that doesn't go over real well. I, I must tell you, when I moved from law to marketing and craft, I almost didn't get the job. Not because I didn't do my homework, not because I wasn't prepared, not because I I didn't have some experience in marketing and advertising, but the person who had to make the final decision, who was an MBA, later told me that his mother always chided him for not going on to law school. And he was going to be darned if he was going to give some wayward lawyer the chance to get into his field. So you have to know that that arrogance does not play well with everybody. Truth be told, you have the ability to learn things quickly. You have the ability to understand what it's going to take. But but um, you you also have to be sensitive to what it's going to mean to to the next person and to who's sitting on the other side of the desk uh, and realize that, you know, they had to work to get to where they are. And you know what? As good as you are, Mr. or Miss Lawyer, you don't know everything about their industry. You don't know perhaps the numbers part, the quantitative part of what they do or the strategic part of what they do. You've got to learn their business, their industry. Take your transferable skills, but be humble enough to realize you've got plenty to learn. Another comment that uh, I have or a question maybe is uh, taking a look at things that people have before going to law school, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I w was sitting at a booth at ABA Day over at John Marshall not long ago, and actually wrote about this in my Attorneys in Transition blog. A student told me that they took their background of sales off of their uh, resume because they were concerned that an attorney might a uh, hiring partner might think that uh, someone who worked in sales didn't have what it takes. And I said quite to the contrary, if you have a background in sales, business, and marketing, you have everything it takes for client generation. So what about some of the things that we might miss that we did before law school? That is such a great question, Nick. I was working with somebody today, the same thing. I had a very strong background in um in this case, it was event planning, and had taken it off the resume, thinking that, well, that wasn't strictly legal. Well, you know what? There is an event planning component to anything you do in law. Are you pulling together a bunch of different attorneys to come together in a case, a bunch of different experts? You need to be able to coordinate efforts. And if you could do it for an event, why couldn't you do that for a law firm? The same, the same idea is true in reverse. If you're deciding that perhaps you want to get closer to those roots of yours and go back to something you liked before you went to law school, it may be a few years old, but it is still part of your professional background. Now, there's you've got to be smart about it. You probably don't want to put it up at the top of your resume when you've been practicing law for 10 years, and you probably don't want to devote as much space to it on the page as your law practice, but let people know that you do have these other skill sets. Let them know what your other interests are. 
I know there's a caveat here. Law firms, especially big law firms, have a pretty traditional way of looking at resumes. And you, if you go too far off that uh, template, you're going to look a little bit, you're going to stand out a little bit too much. But ask yourself, do you really want to stay in that big law firm milieu? And if not, just about anything and everything goes. I love to encourage people who are going to leave law for something else to put an objective back at the top of their resume like most other business resumes have. Tell people why the first thing they see is law, but why you're applying for the job. Your objective lets you explain what it is about your background or the pieces to your background that make you unique. And somebody needs to see that. Otherwise, they're going to throw you right back into the legal bin, which is perhaps not where you want to be anymore. This question of what else you put on your background comes up a lot with more senior attorneys. Uh, do I put my age on? Do I put the year I graduated law school? I think you are who you are. I don't think I would uh, tell people perhaps that I still have a dial telephone at home or I use dial-up Internet service. Uh, I actually once, you'll appreciate this, I once did an interview and told people that I, I had I networked off with names off of my Rolodex. And uh, that was a big mistake because the interviewer said, I heard about those. I never actually saw one. <laughs> so you have to be careful what you say. But you do not have to be sorry about the, the amount of experience you have. You might have to be more selective. You might have to be very careful as to which jobs you apply for. But ultimately, for you to be challenged and for an employer to think it's worth bringing you on and spending the time to train you, they have to know that you bring something to the table. And if that piece is the fact that you've been around the block a few times and you have the experience it takes, then you need to drive that home as a plus um, and, and not be embarrassed. Listen, if you create, if you committed a felony, I probably wouldn't want that on your resume. If you did something that's absolutely not related in any way, shape, or form, but otherwise, if it tells me something about you and it adds value to why I might want to hire you, I'd like to see it on there in a smart way. All right, such good comments. And uh, one little um, funny story that I have only to add is that, um, you know, when I was working and doing some recruiting work, I would go through and have the pile of resumes, and I would need to take two piles, the people who are the serial applicants who are, uh, you know, not considered at this time, and then the people I wanted to call back. And I would call back the people who looked interesting because as I was going through all the resumes, I found so many of them that looked like they were, I could tell almost which career services school, uh, you know, which model they were using, and they looked the same. And uh, I remember someone else who was helping me with this, and they say, I cannot tell these lawyers apart. And they all seem the same. They all act the same. They talk the same. It's as if they were, you know, their brains are swapped out. And, you know, the reality is I remember for, as a first-year law student, they say, you, you, this will – program will change how you think, how you act, um, and I, I suppose as you're transitioning and looking out of law, uh, it's appropriate to remember that you did something else before you came to law school. You had a whole set of skills and personalities, and, and try to find and, and highlight those personalities. Um, I think Cheryl has another quick comment for that before we hop to our first break. Who you are and what you did before law school is all important, especially when you start looking at alternatives. Sometimes in those formative years before law, BL, right, you did something, you thought something, you had a passion for something, and then law school and the commitment and the time it took to get to be a lawyer and then be a lawyer wipes that out from your memory. It, like, erases you. Those are not just incidental pieces of information. They were formative. 
I ask people in my initial meetings with them, what did your parents do? What do your siblings do? What did you want to do when you were a kid? We stop asking those questions of people once they graduate law school, but truth is those ideas lurk in the back of our minds. And when you're looking for an alternative career, you definitely want to go back and tap into those kinds of thoughts. All right. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for your comments. We're going to stop at the half point here where we bring you our daily legal news and then another commercial break. Our daily legal news, again, comes from all sorts of different uh, venues. And lately we've just been going uh, and finding some news that we think is interesting to more people out there. And, of course, remind you that, of course, is an objective program. We're politically neutral, and we always like to know your counterpoints to the things that we bring you. But of interest today on CNN, uh, there's an interesting article. The title was Justice Department Asks Court for Speedy Review of the Health Care Reform Law. It was written by Bill Mears and Carol Craddy from CNN out of Washington, and quote, a U.S. appeals court has been asked by the Justice Department to speed up the consideration of the sweeping health care reform law's constitutionality. And the request was made uh, followed by a ruling of a federal judge in Florida in January declaring that the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act to be legally invalid. In a motion filed Wednesday with the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta, administration lawyers suggested a speeding-up briefing schedule that could have the court holding arguments as soon as June or July. That could ensure the Supreme Court may ultimately get the case as soon as you hear it later this year or in early 2012. Two other federal appeals courts are considering separate but similar challenges to the legislation passed in 2009. The Obama administration says in its motion that quick consideration by the court is crucial given the law is so comprehensive, affecting nearly all U.S. residents. There are also lingering legal questions about whether parts of the law currently in effect can still be enforced. The 11th Circuit has not indicated whether it would agree to the expedited schedule, and there was no immediate response from lawyers representing Florida and 25 other states that had filed original lawsuit opposing the law. For more about this, you can go to CNN.com and Google the title, Justice Department Asks Court for Speedy Review of Health Care Reform Law. Very interesting uh, developments. And uh, again, please always you know, send us any comments that you have on a, a legal story or, or something that you'd like us to read on the air. We're certainly always open to feedback from our listeners and fans out there. So our next commercial sponsor break comes from Jim Thompson and the Get Clients Now program. If you are a solo practitioner or work in a small law firm and want to get more clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you can talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. Jim helps you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring monthly guest on the Law Talk Radio programs every first Thursday of the month, and after retiring from a fulfilling career as a trial lawyer, Jim decided to focus his time on helping young as well as seasoned attorneys learn more about how they can get more clients and build referral networks. You can visit Jim's website and learn more about the Get Clients Now program and other resources by visiting thelawyersmarketingresource.com. Again, you can just search under Google for thelawyersmarketingresource.com, where you can get in Jim, touch with Jim Thompson today and ask him what he thinks about your plan. Uh, he also uh, works with people on a consulting level, and um, the accountability component 
to his course is something that many people truly enjoy. We want to also remind you before we get back to our programming here today that many of you do find our programming in your friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank all of you for your support in sharing our programming as you find guests that you believe are relevant to those you care about. So now back to our Law Talk Radio program with uh, Attorney Cheryl Heisler, the uh, principal of Law Alternatives. In our first segment, we talked a little bit about the path leading to developing the company law alternatives. In our second segment, we talked a little about the skills acquired in a traditional legal education and how those skills can be uh, adjusted and marketed, for uh, lack of a better word, uh, when you are uh, entering into other areas and moving away from law. And now in our third segment, we'll talk a little bit about some of the common industries and places where a legal education is certainly transferable and where we find it to be quite a benefit. You know, I, I, Nick, I want to go back just for one half second and talk, add something that we didn't mention or didn't finish talking about in the last segment. One of the questions is how similar is the value of a JD versus an MBA? And when somebody is weighing what they want to do with school, what kind of advanced degree, if any, they want, I don't think the question is necessarily which one is more valuable in the abstract. You have to have some idea already, and this is tough for people just choosing their direction, have some idea of where you want to go because there are certain jobs that an MBA is required for. I mean, I will tell you, I left craft before I totally hit the wall, but there, as my job description was going to go up the line, I would have been required to do more and more numbers and quantitative work. And I didn't really know how to do linear regressions because I never learned that in law school. That's a business school kind of thing, or at the very least, maybe an undergraduate business learning if you know that you want to do something in business, ask yourself why you're going to get the JD versus the MBA. If you want to teach, ask yourself why you don't get a master's in the area in which you want to teach instead of falling into law school. Law school is an extremely expensive graduate program. At least if you get a, a master's, you can often TA at the same time, reduce, get some income, perhaps reduce the amount you go out of pocket. I just don't want to see the JD continue to be the fallback degree for everything. Not that it's not useful, not that you don't have to be smart and bright to get it. I hate to see people coming out of school with a big chunk of debt and then not really need the JD to do what they want to do, which which kind of leads us into the next section, which is what else can you do with a legal education? And the uh, easy answer is anything you want. And the magic list does not exist, even though everybody kind of thinks I'm holding out on them. Uh, but I can tell you where I've seen lawyers take their skills. And if this gives you some ideas, specific ideas, great. If not, hold on for the fourth segment where, we'll talk, where we will talk about how you can actually put a process to work for yourself in figuring out what you want. Now, and one place that lawyers can take their backgrounds is into the public sector. And in fact, a lot of people that I speak with really were hoping that when they had their degree, they would be able to do some good. So certainly there are lawyers who work in public interest capacities, but there are also lawyers in all kinds of nonprofit roles with nonprofit institutions, with academic institutions, uh, with hospitals. You can be a lawyer and sit in the general counsel's office, but you can be a lawyer and, and work in contract negotiation or in procurement, helping the company or the university uh, get the items that they need in order to continue their business. You can be doing something on the communications front, advocating, 
lobbying, working in governmental affairs or public relations or, or public affairs. I, I've seen some lawyers go into crisis communication, which is a very cool industry because it brings together the ability to communicate and the, the ability to understand what can and can't be said uh, when certain things happen. Now, that's not unique to, to the public sector. There are certainly communication specialists that work in the private sector as well, but the idea of overlaying your legal background with a communications uh, umbrella would be a nice way to marry the, the different skills you learn in law school. Um, I don't think it's unusual for lawyers to find employment in the private sector, even in law firms, but not as practicing attorneys. So you could run the marketing department or be in, in marketing and, uh, again, public affairs, public relations for a law firm. You could work in careers, career services for a school, career hiring and uh, career development within a law firm setting. I've seen lawyers do other kinds of pro bono coordination. So that's kind of a public sector job within a private sector uh, organization. And the nice thing about that is you can command a private sector salary but still feel like you're doing some good, right? So that would be another. These are not exhaustive. These are just examples. Um, I do think that a lot of lawyers have a real interest in human resources and maybe that shows itself or demonstrates itself by going into the labor and employment world, but there are plenty of lawyers who are in HR, in the corporate world, in the nonprofit community, and are helping with their knowledge of labor and employment law, even though they're not, quote-unquote, practicing. Where else have I seen lawyers go? A lot of lawyers are, are particularly analytical and love technology. And as the need for technology in the legal marketplace continues to grow, lawyers are finding very cool jobs in everything from programming to legal sales of technology. And and that's, you know, I know uh, you talked, Nick, about the person who thought sales was a dirty word and wanted it off her resume, but really everything nowadays involves sales, whether you're a practicing lawyer and you have to go out and sell yourself to get clients, or you're somebody who's a vendor to a law firm, and you have to say, buy my e-discovery tools, buy my software for calendars, buy my docket uh, uh, Technique. Uh, here's some. I have a billing program that will really save you time and money. Why I like that example, and legal recruiters would be another another uh, sample. You have to understand enough about the legal industry to be a convincing salesperson, right? And you have to be able to talk both sides. Not that you couldn't do it without a law background. You're going to be better at it. You're going to relate to the people on on the selling end and on the buying end. Um, I, I tell the story, I know someone who is an actuary, um, but he's got a real gregarious personality. And, and no offense to any actuaries who are listening, but a lot of actuaries I also know are not the most outgoing guy in the room. Um, but this particular person found his niche by being somebody who sold actuarial products to non-actuaries. So he was, on the actuarial side, able to understand the numbers piece, and on the interpersonal skill side, smooth enough to be able to translate that and sell it to somebody who needed the product but who didn't have to stand understand everything about it. So in each of these examples, you're bringing your law background plus something else to the table. I have a question, uh, actually a question that I, I, someone asked me uh, yesterday, in fact, when I told them uh, the subject matter of this show, and I just remembered now I was going to write it down, and um, you know, my memory is still working, uh, thank goodness. So um, 
Oh, actually, no, that's an email intern. Sorry. <laughs> Emails so coming excited. in. I know, it's, an, it's a new intern. Um, uh, one of the uh, questions a person had was, am I, the question is, am I using my law degree? And, and how to, and maybe they're just responding to family members, but in different things, how do they answer how, tell, tell Grandma you're using your law degree. You don't have to have the JD initials behind your title to be using the degree. If you're thinking strategically, if you're using analytical skills, if you're communicating on a higher level than you did before you had that, you are using your law degree. And it takes a little bit of fortitude to stand up to somebody who says, well, but you're not practicing law. There are more people now not using their degrees because of the market, but there have always been lawyers who were in politicians who were, who were politicians who weren't quote unquote using their law degree but it was a credential it was what gave them the ability to stand up in front of somebody else and say i understand the legal system there have been people who have been in who served in other public offices um who have been executive directors of nonprofits or executive directors of universities i don't think they're any less prestigious than a practicing attorney simply because they don't have to use every piece of their degree in everything they do. That mindset, that way of looking at the world, it's plenty annoying if you have a spouse who's a lawyer. They use that all the time when they argue with you. You are using your background and use it proudly in anything and everything that you look at. I know just uh, by by way of anecdote, when I was putting things together and explaining, when I first started in practice management and explaining to some of my clients how my law degree was relevant because, um, you know, when, whether we're engaging in public relations or marketing or we're using technology or we're doing a staffing component, I, I find it that it would be very difficult to work with some of the clients because their different practices and substantive areas are so very different that I just couldn't imagine entering into that arena uh, without having some background or knowledge first. So we really have to think out of the box and really boil down the law degree again into some of the analytical skills. And beyond the skill set, and this goes back to the street cred, if you go into a business meeting and there's an MBA sitting there and you don't have an advanced degree, you kind of you might be tempted to sit back, but you've got a law degree. It's like I, you have an MBA and I see you one JD, or I raise you one JD. It gives you something to stand for your bona fides, that you've got something to offer. A, a, and if it's not a quantitative background, it's a way to analyze information and a way to structure your thinking and your argumentation that that person, as important as he or she may be, probably didn't have in their background. So lots of lots of good ways and lots of good pluses to the degree, whether you're using it on a day-to-day basis or not. I have another point that I might want to throw in, Nick. One question that I get asked a lot now, especially with the market the way it is, is if I do something non-legal, can I go back to practicing law? And one, you might find out you don't want to. If you have a, a good enough experience in your non-legal career, the law degree will always be there. It's always part of your background, but you may not want to use it per se. But if you do something that's industry-related and you keep your fingers in the legal pie and you keep up your accreditation and you take your CLE and you maybe do some volunteer work while we wait for the market to thaw a little further, I don't think it's an impossible situation to then a year later try to re-network and to re-credential your uh, 
well, you don't even need to re-credential. You have the law degree, but to get yourself back into a marketable position. The unknown factor, of course, is whether or not the market's going to thaw. And if we continue to have backup upon backup upon backup of legal grads, I, I have to tell you, I think it will be tougher, not impossible, but tougher to get back in. And getting back in and putting your hat on, I have a, a, a very personal experience that I'll share um, where my background was primarily family law. Again, starting before I was even in law school, I was working at a, a solo family law firm. And having 10-plus years of family law experience, people kept saying to me, Nick, why don't you go to mediation? Go do mediation. And I am now signing up and training under a wonderful individual for mediation. I'm putting the hat on. Again, this is a 10-year-old hat. It's rather dusty. Um, but, you know, to the extent that I, I realize in business, keying in that I'm a systems thinker, and mediation is all mostly about the process. It's process determinative as opposed to outcome determinative in the traditional family law litigation. Your outcome is everything, but mediation, it's all the process. So I keyed into a skill set that I can use in addition to what I'm doing in my business and practice management. It's a nice add-on, um, and it's, again, an area of credibility. But let me tell you, this is not something that even occurred to me until enough people talked about it, and I started, it was only once I started looking at videos on YouTube of the person I'm going to be training with did I see and understand why other people were saying, you know, Nick, you are very good at de-escalating conflicts. You're good at taking people who are, are, are angry and looking at different sides of the coin to come to, to, to one place. And, um, you know, so it was a very interesting exploration. You know, that is a, a wonderful segue into what we're going to end up talking about. We may have to take another break here. But the idea of how do you begin to decide what it is you want to do next. And if there's one clear top first step, it is self-assessment. Look at yourself hard in the mirror and say, what am I all about? What are the, at the most basic, most raw components of who I am? What do I care about? What do I want? What are my values? What has everybody been telling me I'm good at since I was a little kid? That means something. And I think we tend, we tend to put away all those pieces, as I said earlier in the show, that don't seem relevant. But in picking a career, they're very, very rele relevant. All right, and what's also very relevant is the fact that we have to stop for a quick break, and then we're going to come back for our last segment. And this is the last break in the show where we bring you some law practice management resources. So hold on to your hat. This is some good stuff. Um, our sponsors for the practice management resources are the ABA Web Store and ABA Publishing, also the Law Bulletin Publishing Company, and your very own ALR PRA Practice Management Services. First, starting with the ABA Web Store and ABA Publishing, we have a title to tell you about. It is Google for Lawyers, the Essential Search Tips and Productivity Tools. And the description of the book is that the Google for Lawyers Essential Search Tips and Productivity Tools introduces novice Internet searchers to diverse, diverse collection of information locatable through Google. This book discusses the importance of including effective Google searching as part of a lawyer's due diligence. That is right. And this is, the book also cites case law that actually mandates that lawyers should use Google and other resources available on the Internet where applicable. 
For intermediate and advanced users, the book unlocks the power of advanced search strategies and hidden search features they might not otherwise be aware of. So again, that title is Google for Lawyers, Essential Search Tips and Productivity Tools. ABA Publishing at www.ababooks.org. And our second uh, law practice management resources is the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. When you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published by Attorneys in Transition, and I hope you visit the site and leave your comment at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, ALRPRA's practice management services are available. We manage and moderate your webinars, social media, and marketing campaigns in substantive law in various expert management areas. We also bring you marketing, technology, finance, and other consulting services. Our services also include systems consulting for development of your office management as well as the core business activities, again, that you know us for being public relations, marketing, technology, management, and finance. You can find more information and some links at our At Work page at ALRPRA.com. Now, our final commercial sponsor for the day is our friend, credit damage expert, George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. A website that you can visit with more information is creditdamageexpert.com. One more time, creditdamageexpert.com. George has a video there with all sorts of explanations on what this is and how you can use it in your law firm. And again, before we go back to our programming in the final for our last segment, we want to remind you that you can find more information by finding us on Facebook by going to Facebook and searching for Law Talk Radio under the Facebook search tab. Also on our website, we have the Law Talk Radio page with more information. Do be in touch. We get most of our programming suggestions from people who contact us and say, I have a, I have a person for this, I have a person for that. Um, counterpoints, too. We always want your counterpoints. And our new uh, radio show intern, David Smith, uh, who recently left a major station to work with us, um, you know, we're quite humbled to have him and very excited. Uh, we'll be contacting people for counterpoints and bringing more so we can get some good hot debates going on. So back to Cheryl Heisler then for the uh, last few minutes of the show. We're going to talk about how we can now take everything that we talked about and uh, make a plan and talk about what to do next. We ended the last segment by saying you've got to figure out what you want. And in some ways, people are probably going like, well, that's easy. I know what I want. Yeah, <laughs> but do they know what they want out of that job? And if you're doing a career change, do you know what it is you want to move into? I know it's easy to say, I just want a job, but when push comes to shove, unless you're just looking for a way to put food on the table, not all jobs are created equal. Not all industries are as interesting to you as as the other one. Some people love sports. Some people love fashion. Some people love the law. 
if you're not in an industry where your underlying where the underlying subject matter gets your blood flowing in the morning, then you may want to reconsider. And maybe that sounds a bit selfish in an economy like this, but the truth is with so many people out there looking for jobs, one way that you can distinguish yourself is by the passion you have for an area. If I talk about career services, I could talk and talk and talk. You probably get that uh, experience already just from listening. I love this stuff. But if my husband starts telling me about computers, I'm yawning in a minute and a half, right? If I needed a job, would I work in computers? Yeah, if I had to. But it wouldn't be my first choice. So ask yourself, what do you like? What kinds of industries do you like? What kind of tasks do you like? What kind of skill sets, both technical and transferable, do you want to use? And and while you're not going to go to somebody and say, you should hire me because this is what I want, what you really should be doing is in the second stage, in your market assessment stage, looking for markets and industries that value the skills that you possess, right? So if you start by looking at who you are and what you're intuitively and naturally good at, and then you go off into the marketplace and see where do they want somebody who can do those things intuitively and do them well, you've already begun the basis for a, a good start to your search. Uh, what is, what's that old phrase? Fish where the fish are. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. How to do the market assessment is we, we could certainly spend an hour on each of the four pieces to finding an alternative career or, or even just another career. But market assessment is digging down and drilling down into what's happening in any particular industry. If you think you're interested in business, ask yourself, do you read Crane's Chicago Business on a regular basis? If you don't, you should. If you get it and you don't enjoy reading it, Maybe you're not really as interested in as interested in business as you thought you were, or, or maybe you're interested in small business. In which case, then you got to figure out what small business people read. Or maybe you're interested in entrepreneurship. It doesn't matter. I, you know, there are jobs in every industry, but you have to find out what the people in your area are reading. Okay, so you really have to understand the market so you can see: Do I really have the right stuff, or am I just fantasizing about? Well, it would be cool. I'd like to be Oprah, so I think it'd be fun to be in TV. Do you really like, because there's a lot of other stuff that goes on in the TV world. There are very few Oprahs. There are a lot of people behind the scenes doing everything from selling advertising time to producing the shows to booking the guests. That's very different than being the one that's in front of the camera. Right. <laughs> Nick is nodding about that. There's a lot of the less glamorous pieces of it as well. So once you have a self-assessment working, who you are, once you have the beginnings of a market assessment, then you get into step three, which is what I call the resourcing or in everyday parlance, the networking. You can't really know another industry until you've talked to people who work in that industry. And please do not confuse networking with passing out your cards or sending, emailing a resume and asking for a job. Networking should be replaced, I think, with the words building relationships. If you really want to know something about an industry, make a friend, build a relationship with somebody who already has some knowledge of that world and talk to them. Find out what's involved on a day-to-day -day basis with what they do and with other people with whom they interact do. It's amazing how many people would not have gone to law school if they had networked with practicing attorneys beforehand. I know if you're out there, you can wave your hand. I know, I know you've heard me. Um, you need to know that for a future industry choice, too, because you don't want to make a mistake. So if you've assessed yourself, if you've assessed the market, if you've done things right where you've really talked with people who are in those new markets and those new jobs and you like what you hear, then and only then are you in a position to sell 
your legal background. Why? Because you know what they want. You know you have something. You know they want something. You know how it plays in their industry, and now you can make a convincing story. It's really different than the, earlier in the show we were talking about somebody who just said, well, I'm smart and I'm a lawyer, therefore I can do your job. It's, this is a much more effective sell. I know the steps sound simple, and there are only four of them, right? Any, any good list has to have at least 10 or 12 steps. But uh, in truth, if you do the self-assessment, the market assessment, the resourcing of the networking, and then be smart about how you market yourself, you're going to be in really, really good shape because the steps do build on one another. Um, it's not a new model. I've been using this for quite some time, but I've seen clients have tremendous success in landing new opportunities and landing opportunities that they're really happy with because it touches back to who they are and what they want to do. Thank you, Cheryl, for that. Sorry, quick to short delay there. Thank you so much for sharing some of that information and the four steps. And um, before we say goodbye, I want to uh, ask you again if you could tell people how they can get a hold of you. I would be happy to. I'm Cheryl Heisler. My business is Lawternatives. And feel free to reach me at www.lawternatives.com. That's my website. Or email me, initial C, Heisler, H-E-I-S-L-E-R, at lawternatives.com. I welcome your questions. I'm happy that people are thinking about other things they can do with their law degree. And please let me know if I can help. All right, and we'd also like to thank all of our listeners out there who tune in and listen to our programs, and thank you also for finding these programs and sharing them with other people. If you know someone who might be in a transition of law, uh, there are so many things that they should look at, so many people that they may be able to talk to. So many of our episodes have touched upon this, and all you need to do is find that permalink. If you click on a show that you find on our website, click on the show, and then when the Blog Talk Radio program opens up, you'll have a link on the top of the webpage cut and paste that and email to someone else so they can listen. So it's really just that easy, folks. I just want to also thank our commercial sponsors uh, today. We had, number one, the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Second, Steve Fretzen of Sales Results Incorporated. Third, Jim Thompson in the Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. And fourth, credit damages expert George Finder. And by way of disclaimer, again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Our results may vary and are based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship, and our programming is politically neutral and objective. Send us your counterpoints to views expressed. We're always welcoming them. ALRPRA does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all of our callers remain confidential, and rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, these Law Talk radio broadcasts, again, are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences some tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better inform practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALR PRA Incorporated, and as always, we thank you for your time. <laughs>